Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. This is Thunder and Lightning here on Super Talk Mississippi. Brian Haydad and Robbie Falk joining you on a Wednesday morning. Thanks for joining us at supertalk.fm or wherever it is you get podcasts from. We appreciate all of our great listeners, especially our servicemen and women out there taking care of us. We want to thank our sponsors at Strange Brew Coffee House and Churn and Spoon Ice Cream. Today is a day I bet a lot of Bulldog fans could have used a cup of coffee. Probably stayed up a little late, needed that extra jolt. To get through those morning hours, well, Strange Brew is always there for you. If you live here in Starkville or in Tupelo, you know there's a, there's at least one location to serve you in all of those cities. They got the drive-through, the walk-up window over on University Drive. Man, you don't even have to get out of your car. You can get your caffeine and go. Don't forget to check out collegecorner.com or collegecornerstore.com uh, for the next couple of days as College World Series merchandise becomes available. A lot of great shirts and hats are going to be uh, available to commemorate Mississippi State's uh, 12th trip to Omaha. That is one, two trips to Omaha. Three in a row. I, I hate to sort of... My favorite fan Twitter account is Brian CTP. All right? the, the humor is so dry. It, it, could, it could pass for a sand dune sometimes. But nobody gets them, and you know who they are, the way that he does, in my opinion. So shout out to him. His stat the today, one the one yesterday with the barstool guy, Dollar General <laughs> uh, Stingray. I sent that to our friend Brandon Walker. I was like, you got you better be sure he sees this. <laughs> but what he said today about how State has as many trips to Omaha in the last three years as Ole Miss has wins over Mississippi State in the last five years. Ooh. That is a sobering reality, friends. How about a bigger reality here? Uh, Chris Lamonis has been here for two years. Mike Bianco has been here for 21. Mm-hmm. And Lamonis has been to more trips to Omaha than Mike Bianco. Well, the, the good news is by the time you listen to this podcast, Mike Bianco might not be here anymore. We'll see how that plays out. We'll talk about that maybe later. Um, but collegecornerstore.com, check, just search CWS in the search bar there. It'll load up all the merchandise they're going to have in. And, of course, if you just need some MSU merchandise, man, there's no better selection of it than at College Corner. Humble Taco is going to be a great place to hang out anytime you're in Starville. It's Starville's newest and best Mexican restaurant, Mexican fare with Mississippi roots. Your favorite southern classics, fried chicken, catfish, fried shrimp, all turned into Mexican uh, dishes that just will definitely be something that you are not suppre- expecting but you'll be very, very happy that you order. Give them a try next time you're in Starkville. They have the big patio, margaritas on tap, great local beer selection, and it's just a great place to be. Starkville's newest and best Mexican restaurant is Humble Taco. I thought we'd start today and uh, with, you know, I know we've had a night to sleep on it. Not much sleep, but sleep nonetheless. You know, let's look back at not not only game three of the Super Regional, but the, 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 the weekend and, and really the season in general for some big-picture thoughts about this team. I don't like to say this team is flawed because a flaw is something that shows up a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, I, if you look at State's 16 losses, there's not really, to me, there's not really a, a, a common theme throughout them. They just had some bad performances. You know, not a lot of them, but they had them. And you look at their losses, I mean, they have what? How, how many losses of the 16 are, would you you'd say, are bad? Four? The two to Missouri, one to Kent and, State, and one to Tulane. And, 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 do you, and do you Friday really night. do you really call like a non like a series one game in a series a bad loss? It's, it's, I, I don't really count that as a bad loss because they won the series, which I consider a win. If you want to break it down to like micro scale, you have if you want to look at each game, it's I mean you lost to a Kent State, you lost to a 
sub 150, I think, RPI team. Yeah, sure. You can say that, yeah, that, that's not a great loss. But it, it, it's irrelevant in that. But Arkansas they loss, you know, they yeah. would lose a game in a series. Arkansas, that's one of the top teams. Vanderbilt. Ole yeah. Miss is a tournament team. South Carolina is a tournament team. Mm-hmm. Um, who, you know, I mean, the, the Missouri series is really the first time we said, okay, that was a bad that loss. That was the only. We, 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 we could not find many, if any, bad losses on that schedule prior to that Missouri series. So much was made of Arkansas and the fact that they didn't lose a series all weekend. State lost some series, but they didn't have a bad weekend until that Missouri series. They lost to Vanderbilt and Arkansas. Arkansas, you could say, was sort of a, a bad weekend, but Arkansas was the best was the best team in the country. Vanderbilt, I mean, they they were they were leading the game late, and, and just it got away from them. Yeah, to, to, to try to take the series. You know, if we were going to nitpick this team, give me two things that concern you about them going into Omaha. Pitching consistency, okay, is one of them. I just I feel like teams are really barreling up this pitching, and most of that, I think, is just the the ability to pound the strike zone. I mean, State has walked batters, but this is a staff that struck out more batters than anybody in Mississippi State history, and the walks are are manageable. I feel like it's probably closer to the bottom of the SEC. I haven't looked at those stats. might be completely wrong. But they're not they're, – they're, they're putting the ball in the zone and they're pitching to contact. And – Duty Noble has has played to to the long ball this year. It's um, you know the ball is flying out of there. So you know I I feel like that could work in their favor in Omaha. It didn't in Hoover, which is kind of a similar ballpark. It plays big. Uh, it didn't there. But if they're getting a bunch of fly balls, the way the wind blows in there and the way the ball just does not carry. I feel like that that could that could flip quickly for Mississippi State. That could auto- automatically become a strength of theirs mm-hmm. that they're getting fly ball outs, especially for Bednar and McLeod, mm-hmm. who are fly ball pitchers, not ground ball pitchers at all. No, so this this is the to me this is the absolute best park in America for Will Bednar and Christian McLeod, unless teams are are starting to hit ground balls through the hole and finding holes and line drives and things like that. But as far as those guys. You know, getting barreled up and hitting, getting fly balls, that could actually be a strength. Defensively has been a weakness for Mississippi State this year, but they're playing pretty good defense right now. I mean, Tanner Allen had his first error of the season yeah. last night, which was a big one. They had three runs that inning, and I think that kind of sparked it. But other than that, that game was incredible the way the defense played it. I, I thought that was one of the cleanest games Mississippi State's played defensively, and hey, they needed it. A team that's at, that scored eight or more runs in every single postseason game this year. That scored seven last night. Think about that second inning. If, if Rowdy Jordan gives up a double, if Cam James on that bad hop at third base on that on the first play, mm-hmm. if he lets that one get by him, mm-hmm. if 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 Lane Forsyth doesn't feel that ground ball, that three up three down inning, Houston Harding got it hit right two people and they made the plays. If those don't happen. Mississippi State's in trouble. If Tanner Allen doesn't make the diving catch in the fourth inning to get Houston Harding out of the inning when there's runners on first and second, that's scoring a run and it goes from eight to two to to eight to three and the inning's still going. So we're starting to see Mississippi State clean up some of those issues that they've had this season and offensively, some spots that you thought were weaknesses during the year, bottom of the lineup like we talked about, Kellum Clark and Brad Cumbest 
are becoming guys that you can really rely on. Um, you need Lane Forsythe to turn the lineup over and get on base by any means. Mississippi State's starting to tighten up and look like a team that we thought they could be, but they need that pitching staff and the bullpen outside of Lane and Sims to come in and shine in Omaha. The offense has been something that very interesting to me. You look at postseason play, was it 8, 16, 6, 8, obviously the 1, and then 11. So, you know, they had the one bad game. Yeah. But they've been and, pretty consistent. And you go back to that, that one bad game, you're facing a soft toss and lefty. I think Rowdy banged that triple off the wall to start the ball game. Then you get the sack fly on the fly ball, and, and, and they go up there thinking – we're about to just demolish this guy. Mm-hmm. And he kept throwing, you know, he was soft tossing it up there. His breaking ball was uh, on the lower part of the zone, and they just couldn't stay off of it. And they never were able to really put a good swing on that guy after that. So, really, I feel like that was an anomaly for the postseason. This offense seems to be locked in one through one through eight, especially um, for Mississippi State so far. My only other concern, and you sort of mentioned consistency in pitching, is in the bullpen. You know, is I, my my concern now after watching Stone Simmons, and it, there are a bunch of guys like him in the bullpen. And what I mean by that is, there's not a lot of of real experience in big games in the bullpen. You know, Landon Sims is Landon Sims. He's just so talented. You know that his lack of experience isn't an issue. But the rest of these guys, Preston Johnson. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Stone Simmons, Cade Smith, Cam Tuller, the guys you're going to look to in, in middle innings. These will be the, the biggest innings they've ever pitched for Mississippi State. Is that a concern for you at all, that the lack of, of real postseason experience in the bullpen? It could be, but, you know, these guys have been in, in one of the great atmospheres in college baseball now uh, for most of the season in Mississippi State. Uh, and, and this is why I mentioned on yesterday's podcast – why it's important not to just yank those guys out at the first sign of distress. They have to figure it out. And and I thought Stone Simmons did that. I thought that might be a moment that really flips a switch for him. And when he's a junior at Mississippi State, he's able to go back to that moment when he gave up three runs against Notre Dame and things started getting tight there, and he was able to to get out of it. That's going to be a big moment for him. You know, Houston Harding's had had some moments like that that prepared him for last night when he was able to get out of, you know, one first and second with one out or a guy on base to lead off an inning. He's been able to get out of those those uh those situations. You have to allow your pitchers the opportunity to figure it out. How am I going to get out of this to be in a tight situation like that? And I think some of those guys are going to be ready for that in Omaha, and there's going to be some that I mean, they didn't even get to pitch in the postseason mm-hmm. yet. Cam Tuller, he yeah. hasn't pitched. Yeah. Um, Parker Stinnett pitched one inning against VCU, and it was meaningless. Yeah. Uh, State pitched, what, four guys of the bullpen in this series? Landon Sims, Landon Preston Sims. Johnson, yes. Stone Simmons, yeah. and Brandon Smith. Yeah. Was there anybody else? Cade Smith pitched an inning. Cade Smith got an inning, yeah. And that was a big inning, I think, for him. Because I, did, I agree, I agree. He, I think it was three up, three down. Yeah. The was, game he, was virtually over. But he, but he he didn't give up anything. Right. He was very, it, very, very good in that inning. And that's a weekend starter, I think, next year for Mississippi State. I agree. And I think you need to get him in the game at Omaha. Yeah. I think he needs to pitch. So enough about the negatives. Now let's look at the positives. Well, I know you love the negatives. 
Well, I like to get them out of the way. You know, this this will probably be a two minute segment here talking about the positives. Talk about the positives. All right, great show. Thanks for joining <laughs> us. Uh, the consistency that state has now, you know, within within the program, you, you, so much is made, and rightly so, you know, about there's a difference between program and culture. You know, the program is sort of is what it is, but culture is what defines everything within the program. And the fact that you have four, five straight super regionals with four different coaches shows that there's more than just wins and losses and players and coaches and things like that happening. There's 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 a there's a greater thing to it. How has that been built? I mean, it's, it obviously has to start with John Cohen, and then you know to survive what happened with Canizero shows how strongly it what that foundation really was. I think I think we do need to give some credit to John Cohen here, and there's, there's players on this team he recruited. Yes, and you know we can say all we want to that you know this is this is the Mississippi State culture and it's been like this forever and all that, but there was a stretch after Pat McMahon left that this this it was up and down. You know teams were not getting to Omaha, teams weren't getting to super regionals. 2007 was was breaking. Uh, what eight year streak of not yeah. going to Omaha, and, and reality, they had been to they had been to you know two I think super regionals before '07, and you know they were going on the road. They weren't hosting much at uh, Duty Noble, and then '07 was just kind of a, a team that got hot late. That was a two seed that went to Florida State, and um, you know they had a great performance from Justin Pygett and won that regional. Came back and you know Duty Noble just like it did this weekend just kind of pushed them to Omaha. That was a good Clemson team too. They just kind of pushed them to Omaha. But until 2013, I mean there was there was a lot of unrest there with this Mississippi State program. They they had kind of fallen to the wayside a little bit. Those you know 2008, 2009, and 10 those teams weren't good. Uh, John Cohen, I feel like deserves a lot of credit here for building Mississippi State back into that national brand. Um, you know, I, I go back to even the team changing their jerseys. Mm-hmm. They got away from from that 1985 nostalgia and what kind of built Mississippi State baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh, even, you know, some of the jerseys that they wear now in, in reference to Paul Gregory and some of those great teams, it just feels like that has brought back a spirit of Mississippi State baseball. You build this huge stadium. You know, John Cohen in 2013, that team was six, had 16 SEC wins, I think. But they were just gritty and determined, and they were going to get to Omaha, and they were going to make a run. That team really kind of sparked something. I know they had that bad year in 2015, but won the SEC in 16. And you're starting to see real big-time players come back to Mississippi State. You're producing first-round talent. You get a, a Golden Spikes Award finalist and a Triple Crown winner and Brent Rooker. And now you're starting to, to really stack those kind of players and those kind of teams. And it just feels like Mississippi State's in a different kind of state possibly than it's ever been. I mean, you've had these great eras of Mississippi State baseball, the, the 1985 through 89 group, then the late 1990s. Um, and then it was kind of a lull there, and now you're seeing from from 2013 mostly to 20, to 2021, you're seeing a lot of stability, which is incredible when you consider the instability in the coach's office. Yeah, it's it's definitely a story worth telling. In that it doesn't make sense. You don't know, normally a team that has that much flux and that many you know that that kind of you know 
change at the top, being any kind of successful, just being a tournament team would be considered a win. Instead, you know, you, you five straight super regionals and now three straight trips. And one thing, one more thing I want to say is mm-hmm. like, what? How good can this program be with Lamonis here for a while mm-hmm. and Lamonis building his his kind of roster? I mean, we we thought. When John Cohen won that SEC championship in sixteen, okay, it's it's on now. John Cohen's got his guys. Was, that's why I was so surprised that he didn't coach in seventeen. Yeah, or didn't try to. You know, I don't know, but I felt like he had worked his entire career to get to that point for that, and then he just walked away like one step shy. Yeah, I, I was amazed that he did that. And then Canizero, Canizero, so. you were thinking uh, this is this dude's a superstar. He's going to recruit top. He's going to be here for two decades. Like imagine him recruiting to this park. And yeah. That that was always the statement. He's about to recruit. This guy can get in anybody's living room and recruit anybody. Mm-hmm. And he's about to have this park. And then all that happens, and everybody thinks, well, state's going right down mm-hmm. the drain. And I just feel like, and and when Lamonas came in, kind of you know, nobody knew who he was. Yeah. Here's the thing that impresses me about Chris Lamonis. You know, Andy Canizero was such a player's coach, a guy that's going to try to fire you up, and, you know, he was a guy that was intense. Lamonis is like a businessman. I was looking at some of the videos last night. That's as excited as I've ever seen him. And, you know, he got excited for like two seconds, then he was right back into his yeah. his mode. Well, he knows the job's not done. He never, he never gets... He never gets too high or too low, to use Tanner Allen's statements. And I feel like John Cohen saw that in him. And you could say whatever you want to about John Cohen, but when it comes to baseball, you you bet on that guy. Yeah, He knows what he's talking about. And I think, you know, everybody was saying, who is this guy, Indiana's coach? Mm-hmm. We're supposed to be hiring, you know, we're supposed to be pulling guys from, from these great Power 5 teams, these up-and-comers. We're going to get this guy, boring coach that hadn't really done anything he went to super regional i guess it's working out it's working out and i feel like this is a guy that can that can run this program the right way and that can have the consistency that eventually you're going to get to that championship series and win it among the many reasons i would like to see mississippi state win a national title would that be the moment where lamona's finally sort of lets loose a little bit and runs around the bases like a kid or something i don't i don't know you got know. to at that point. You would think you would, but we'll, we'll see. Let's let's we're gonna we'll talk a little. Let's talk a little bit more baseball, then we'll move over to football. You you talked about and this is sort of a weird question. You know, five days out from the start of the College World Series, but what does this program look like next year? Because I think there was a lot of thought of, boy, when they lose Mangum and McNamee and Ethan Small, they're gonna have to really rebuild. And you know. Who knows what last year would have brought? I, I'm certainly not going to say that team was destined for the College World Series or anything ridiculous like that. But they, but <laughs> had you know, taken away from them. Hey, <laughs> who could think such an incredibly foolish thing? Uh, but they got back, and so now everybody's like, "Oh, but when they lose Tanner and Rowdy and Bedner and McCla- have they finally gotten to that reload, not rebuild?" Stat back where they were, you know, maybe two decades ago. It's it's what I said uh, on yesterday's podcast. I felt like this was the transition year for Mississippi State, kind of a rebuilding a little bit, because most of this lineup has not played SEC baseball until this year, and it, it is yes, it's going to be huge to lose two pieces in the top of your order, like Rowdy and TA, but they just lost Jordan Westberg and Justin Foscue from the year before, those were two huge bats out of this lineup. They just lost Elijah McNamee and, and Jake Mangum the year before that. I feel like 
this team next year has the ability to be better than this team. Mm. From a talent standpoint and from what they're going to have in that lineup, Kellum Clark and Brad Cumbus have, have seen a lot of pitching this year. They're going to be a year older. Um, I would love to see Brad Cumbus spend a summer in, in a wood That, that was going to be my question. Do you think Cumbus is finally going to say it's time to, to go to a baseball? I don't think he's going to give up football, mm-hmm. but I do think that he we could see him in summer ball somewhere. I think he needs to. I, yeah. I really do. I think – I think it'll work. It's obvious he has the tools. Yes, look how much better he looks at the plate after he's been through an SEC season. I mean, Mm -hmm. he looks comfortable up there. On O two, you feel like he can get a base hit going the opposite field. Uh, But you got those two guys coming back. You know, Logan Tanner, Luke Hancock, Cameron James. Hopefully, all these guys are coming back. You know, those guys are going to take a step forward. You're adding in some pieces from a top ten signing class. You're going to be bringing in some talented pitchers as well. I know you're losing Bednar and McLeod, and that those are going to be huge losses from guys that started. But man, I I like what they're I like what the possibilities of that weekend as well next year. So I think next year has the ability to have an even more talented team, and that group's going to be even more seasoned than this year because they've they've been through the ringer of the SEC this season and now to Omaha. So it's going to be it's going to be really interesting. All right. We're going to move on over. We are really going to change the subject here. That's brought to you by our good friends over at Welcome Home Beef. Man, nothing says the College World Series like Father's Day, MSU baseball, and a delicious ribeye steak on the grill. Make it happen with a trip to Welcome Home Beef. Pick up one of their fantastic fillets, ribeyes, or strips. Or maybe you want to throw a brisket on the grill. You want to throw some flank steak and make some fantastic tacos. Man, whatever it is you're looking to cook out this weekend, the answer is at Welcome Home Beef. Swing by there or give them a call. They're always happy to talk to you and put an order in for you. That number is 662-268-8148. Or visit them online, welcomehomebeef.com. Welcome home beef. It just tastes good. Two Brothers Smoked Meats, always a destination whenever you're in Starville. Whenever people come to Starville and they say, hey, where should I go eat? Two Brothers is always on the top of my list. You've got to give it a try. If you have, if you have been to Star, if you are an MSU fan that hasn't been to Two Brothers in the time they've been open, man, you have missed out on some great, great times. Head over there next time you're in Starville in the heart of the Cotton District and enjoy some smoked southern soul food from Two Brothers Smoked Meats. Advantage Business Systems has two ways of taking care of you. They take care of you with great products and great service. They have an inventory that has everything your thriving business needs to keep profits high and problems low. Technology, copiers, printers, software, anything you need, computers, they can take care of it, they can install it, and then they back it all up with incredible customer service that you would expect from your neighbors, and that's what they are at Advantage Business Systems. They do business in Mississippi with Mississippians. Call them today at 601-362-9192 or visit them online at absms.com. You'll find out how Advantage Business Systems will help your business do business. We are really, really changing the topic here. We got an opponent pre- I'm sorry, an SEC preview to get to. Um, Ooh, that's, I know. The, that's the sound of people at home. Hey, you know... I think people enjoy the summer summer programming. We can't we can't talk baseball the whole time. We we would like to, but you know, there's only so much. Um, we're talking about the LSU Tigers, as hand selected by. LSU. <laughs> I'd rather you boo that, boo that, boo that. LSU down there on the bayou. I think a fair word to use for LSU last year is train wreck. <laughs> I mean that it wasn't was, that bad. It was bad. 
and it started bad, and it started at the hands of Mississippi State. They got to five and five, right? I think they were five and five. Yeah, yeah. But didn't go to a bowl. Went ahead and preemptively got ahead of the NCAA on that one. Yeah, <laughs> um, and, and while they were five and five, they felt it felt like a team that could easily have been three and seven. They just, you know, I mean, the Corral throws five picks on them. Uh, they had a couple other games that were close. I mean, without just, Elijah Moore. Without Elijah Moore in that game, yeah. So, it all started defensively for them. LSU, I mean, I always associate not just great defense, but intimidating defense with LSU. Instead, they were soft. They were soft defensively all season long. New coordinators at both spots. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but uh, apparently Joe Brady didn't just leave the playbook and say, good luck, guys. <laughs> I heard that their offense and their defense was supposed to be better last year than it was the year before. You want to know what that was? A lie. That was a lie. Here's here's my thing with LSU. People that that are around LSU that maybe that cover them or that are fans, they act like everything's okay. Like they act like nothing happened. Two years in a row, Ed Orgeron is like having to get completely different staffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're having you know players transfer out, players opt out of the season. And everybody's like, "Oh, it's okay. This, you know, this guy's going to be better than the other guy." And then you get to the the Mississippi State game, and you give up a SEC record passing yards. Um, so, like, uh, you know, we we were told that Bo Pelini was actually looking better than Dave Aranda. What happened there? You know? Yeah, yeah. I I, I can't imagine. And they're doing it. They're doing it again. They're yeah. having to turn it over again. And they and they got a guy coming in that's and, and look, never been a coordinator, right? And, Right. In college? And he had sort of something similar to that with Alabama. You know, Alabama had has had turnover at the coordinator positions, and that's fine. But, but they're getting head they're they're which I guess LSU was too. They're getting head coaching positions and all that, but I trust Nick Saban more than I do. That, that's what I was gonna get at is Nick Saban is the head of the snake there. All right. He is the one making everything go. Nick Saban and Ed Ordron are not the same person. So some would say this is gonna be a bounce back year for the Tigers. Some might say this could be you know, a transition year for the Tigers in that they could be transitioning to a new head coach if things go poorly. Before Robbie and I go through the schedule, let's talk to somebody who knows a little bit more about the Bayou Bengals than we do. My friend Brody Miller, he joins the program now on the Welcome Home Beef Hotline. Brody Miller from The Athletic, previewing LSU. You know, 2020 was a year most of us would all love to forget, but I don't know that anybody wants to forget it more than our friends down in Baton Rouge and the LSU Tigers. Joining me now here on the Welcome Home Beef Hotline, my good friend Brody Miller, who covers the Tigers for The Athletic. Just sort of a big-picture question to start off. What the hell went wrong down there? (laughs) Well, I think the only accurate answer is to say that it was kind of a perfect storm of everything going wrong, as much as we all like to talk about 2019 being... This like, wow, everything that ever could have come together right did for a championship, everything went wrong. And that's not alleviating the blame from anyone, because I think a lot of people deserve blame. But, yeah, you start with, all right, you lose, yeah, like 19 of 22 starters. That's already, you know, you're catching up a little bit. It's not the end of the world. Then pandemic hits, and you make some just awful hires, like Bo Pelini, a defensive coordinator that Ed Ogeron admits he might not have even interviewed. Uh, then you have uh, then you have the pandemic, obviously. You have cultural issues with the like with George Floyd pro- protests in the summer that rubbed the team the wrong way. And then it looks like you have a high-powered offense that's averaging like 400 passing yards a game with Miles Brennan, but then 
you know, and then and then he goes down for the season. So it's just this perfect mix of disastrous defense, bad culture, and it's a pandemic. So it makes you know anyone connecting weird across the whole country. Mixed with having to play two true freshman quarterbacks, yeah, it was just a a mess in every single way. So the question I would have to ask then is, how does LSU clean up that mess in 2021? What are the first steps they're going to have to take? That's that's a great question because I think you saw, I think Ed Ogeron's mentality was. First thing, recruit your team back, right? And I'm not going to say, like, I'm not going to pretend I know if you truly fix the cultural issues or things like that this fast, but I will say the one positive I'll give them is the same kind of people that were pretty mad, you know, last summer and the fall, things like that, but some of those veteran guys, he convinced them almost all to stay. So maybe that means something, right, that you convince, you know, several senior defensive linemen and a bunch of major, your entire offensive lines back, all these things. So that's at least a, a little bit of a victory that you were able to get some confidence back there. So you start there. You have a strong infrastructure roster-wise. And then I think the next step was clearly he. the focus was on a staff that, yes, he wants good coaches, but there was a clear focus on guys who know how to connect and communicate and actually, you know, be you know, have a relationship with players because I, I, I think the staff before, quite frankly, was a lot of 60-plus white guys, you know, and, and that's just not always conducive to, especially more, now more than ever, really connecting with, you know, a roster full of, what, 75% black, you know, players. And I think you saw them make a push toward diversity, which they're trying to do across the entire pro, um, athletic department, but a lot younger, too. So you got... You know, Durante Jones is the defensive coordinator. I know he wasn't the first choice, but he still does kind of fit that, and he's, his one claim to fame is that he's good at those things. And, you know, you hired Jake Peets, who, you know, has raved about another young coordinator, and, you know, I, I think you start there, and, again, I don't know if they've achieved it, but the, the feedback from what I've heard has been there is a, a genuine difference in that part of it, the culture, the just the vibe in the, in, the, in the locker room and things like that. So it's a, it's a long-winded answer to say, I think they've done the work they need to do, and they have a talented roster, but you know, putting that all together to have a winning season is a different thing. It felt like going into last season, it was finally time for Miles Brennan. He had sat behind Burrow, and it was finally going to be his time. He struggled. He had injuries. By the end of the season, he, you know, he was out. And Max Johnson, I thought, was, was impressive in, in the time he got to play. Obviously, T.J. Finley, he's out of the equation now. What's that quarterback battle look like down there? It's really going to be fascinating because I don't think anyone would have blinked twice if that Ogeron LSU were like, yeah, Miles Brennan's your job again. You know, he averaged, yeah, 380 yards a game, I think. was getting better each week. Everything looked good, but I really think it's a, a neck-and-neck competition, and if anything, I think the the lead just on based on who you talk to right now is Max Johnson, in which, you know, there's going to be a second year of eligibility, but technically it's four years left. Right. He's more mobile. He's maybe, you know, maybe got a little more touch and things like that. And, yeah, I mean, you, like you said, you look at that Florida game and that Ole Miss game, I mean, yeah, he looked like a raw freshman, of course, but he doesn't have a huge arm. But he just looked like a mature, grown-up quarterback. You know, he just looked like you know how to run things. And I think that meant a lot to Ogeron. I think he has a connection with a lot of the, the skill players and the guys. So, But at the same time, Brennan has a cannon he looked really good in the spring game. Not that that means much. And, and again, like even the game he got knocked out against Missouri with a torn abdominal through for like 450 yards or something. You know, so it's like it's a good problem to have, but, of course, that comes with the huge issue of, yeah, but whoever you don't pick, you got to worry about them leaving. So it is tricky in that sense, but I do at least think 
whoever wins it is good enough in a vacuum to get this team back to you know winning nine or ten games. Two seasons ago, LSU had the best skill position players in the country, running back, receiver, tight end, top to bottom. All those guys, almost all of them now are in the NFL. Who are the new faces at LSU that will be running the ball and catching the passes this year? Absolutely, yeah. I, I think you start with Kayshawn Booty, the receiver, who obviously was a small sample size for that last four games of the year. I think it was somewhere around like 680 yards in four games and obviously tore up Ole Miss for record-breaking numbers. So he's the guy, right? He's yeah. clearly the new face of that group. After that, it's it's tricky because it's LSU. They're always going to recruit well. And I'd say running back and receiver are both really deep. You know, like you, you're you're four deep at running back and nine deep at receiver if guys you're happy to play. But I still don't know who the guys are, you know, where it's, yeah, Jare Jenkins and Coy Moore, those guys are trustworthy at receiver, but are they, you know, stars? I don't know. Or they love these this freshman class. They have, like, four top 100 receivers coming in this year. Deion Smith's the name to watch. Obviously, you might know him, obviously, Mississippi guy. And, you know, I, I think you got to watch for him. you got to watch for uh, Jack Besh is another freshman. It has like that. And a running – but, again, I just don't know who's going to really break out. And then a running back – Still, truly don't know because John Emery's this five-star guy who we've all seen flashes where he looks like that guy could be a superstar. But you know, discipline and just you know the little things, the blocking, the pass catching, stuff like that. They just haven't been able to rely on him. And Edwards even called that group a disappointment. So I give Tyreon Davis Price, you know, a bit more of a power back the the edge there. But who knows? You know, I I think they're looking for a lot more there. Just the dumb question. I'm sure this is the answer is yes, but is that Brett Besh's kid? Jack Besh? Is that his kid? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sorry, I didn't. The, 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 the LSU uh, you know, getting the, the, the legacies, it always works out. I know Walker Howard's coming coming next year as well. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> why isn't Mississippi State going to throw for 623 yards on LSU this season? <laughs> yeah, I mean, gosh, that was – Really is like the more that season is that one of those surreal games you've ever covered. I really would put it up there. I mean, just especially because we spent all off season talking about how elite that secondary was going to be, and that's just like dear God. Uh, But you know, I think okay, you start with Eric Stingley is you know generally considered probably the top defensive back in the country. So you start there. He was there last year. Actually, no, he wasn't. He was sick. You're right. But Eric Stingley's back. Uh, and then Eli Ricks obviously had an All-American season, had like five interceptions, you know, had a great year. And I think the main thing that you'd look at as promising is, they, and I, actually I think Bruce, our, uh, Bruce Sullivan, my colleague, just even mentioned him in his breakout candidates for the season nationally, is, is safety Jay Ward, who, you know, was a, was a solid corner last year, but kind of got beat up and, you know, got blamed on some of the coverage busts, but they moved him to safety and he has just been like, the breakout star of the last few months, and, and I really think he's going to be the, the next guy. But my real answer to that is, I mean, you saw just as much as me, the disasters of last year's 2020 defense were just simple communication busts and, and safeties not knowing which way to go and, and nobody being on the same page. And just, like, it, was, it wasn't, it was like, talent. It's never going to be a talent problem with LSU. It was just, like, the fundamentals under Bo Pelini and, I'm not saying it all should be blamed on Pliny. I'm sure it's a mixture of a lot of things, but I really do think, and, and so far the feedback has been, that Durante Jones, if he can just fix that communication, get people on the same page, which I do believe has been the case the last few months, and get those basics down, the secondary is really good. I mean, it's up there with any in the country, you would assume, in a vacuum. So, yeah, I think in general it's safe to say 
that pass defense will improve a good amount, but I'm not going to, I mean, obviously we have to wait until until proven. What about the guys up front? I mean, LSU defensive line, it sort of goes hand in hand. Who, who are going to be the guys getting after the passer for the Tigers? Yeah, as much as I talk about all the flaws, I think it's, I think the clear strength of this entire program right now is defensive line. I'm really not exaggerating when I say they are legitimately 8 to 10 deep of guys they would have been happy to start two years ago even on the title team. You know what I mean? Like, they're, yeah. they're really deep there. And you have, you know, Glenn Logan, Neil Farrell, those are guys who have been there pretty much four-year starters, you know, or contributors. But then, you know, I mean, Mason Smith, the five stars, legitimately talk of him starting as a true freshman, which is crazy as defensive tackles, you know. And, and then... Andre Anthony, Ollie Gay looks like he has a chance to be a high draft pick at defensive end. Watch out for him on the edge. BJ Ojolari, I think, had you know five or six sacks just as like a third down guy last year. So he's another huge name to know off the edge. But also, you know, I really think that Jaquelin Roy's a guy to always watch. So they're they're just so deep there that and and you know as well as I, the main victory there isn't just the talent. It's the idea that you can then keep everyone fresh because you're rotating defensive lines every other series. That's huge. So that's got to be their bread and butter. Basically, if I had to give a recipe for what this defense needs to be, it's your D-line controls the line, your corners control the outside. and Yeah, you might have some question marks in linebacker and safety, but at least you have those other areas kind of locked down. What's realistic for LSU this year? Obviously, two years ago, they may have been the best team in college football history. Last year, they, they, they alternated somewhere between pretty good and train wreck. Where are they this year? What's a realistic expectation for the Tigers? You know, it's like this tough thing where I have to separate. Like, of course, coming off last year, you don't want to get too, too imp- like over the top because yeah, some of those issues might still be lingering. So who knows? But if I remove that and you just look at what's here, what you have in front of you, yeah, this is a top twelve team in the country or fifteen team in the country. Like they are that good, and mainly they're absurdly experienced. They have like 32 guys who started games last year. So, in a vacuum, like, why do I keep saying in a vacuum? But, they, they should you, be you a need to buy a Roomba? Team. What's going on here? I was going to say, yeah, maybe it's lingering in the back of my mind. Got to replace them. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, I think they should be a 10-win team. Nine wins would be perfectly fine. Those should be the expectations. You know, obviously, Bama, I mean, I think we all live in the same universe where that's always assumed, if we're just being honest with ourselves, to be a loss. After that, though, it's one of those years where the schedule is actually favorable, where, you know, those huge toss-up games, you know, your Floridas, your, your, um, your A&Ms, games like that that are your big toss-up rivalry games, those are home. That's good, you know. And, and you know, Florida and Auburn, I expect to be kind of, you know, taking a bit of a, a reset right, right now and things like that. So, you know, UCLA is a, a tricky con- non-conference, but, of course, LSU should win that game. So, it's this weird thing where I'm not actually saying LSU is like a top seven team, but they should go ten and two or something like that and be in that that range. So that's the expectation, considering the mixture of schedule, experience, all that. And yeah, if they go eight and four or something, it's a bad look. And that, that would be my last question: if, if if it does go wrong for LSU and they are eight and four or something like that happens, if they lose to Mississippi State for the fourth time in eight years, what what's the fallout down there? I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of hard conversations had. And, of course, you know, and this this is a correct usage of this, so I can't believe I'm saying this for a fourth time. But, like, it's no, I'm going to avoid it. But I'm not going to say it. But, yeah, I think <laughs> in general, none, none of this does happen in a vacuum. See, I said it. It, it, it. It's because of the weirdness of last year, the culture issues, the off-the-field stuff, 
LSU's in a Title IX scandal. I mean, you have a, a just like cornucopia of messiness right now. So I think if you do have like, like exactly like you said, a year like that, yeah, I think Scott Woodward is going to be having some tough conversations just with all these things together that like, hey, maybe, maybe you do start considering that. And again, I'm not like some guy sitting here saying that Ogeron's on the hot seat, but if they do have a year like that, I think it's going to be really tricky. I, I wouldn't be completely shocked if something, you know, there was a change. All right, this interview is brought to you by Dyson Vacuums. Check out their great selection of cordless vacs at Dyson.com. Brody Miller from The Athletic, man. Thanks for joining me. Really appreciate it. Always my favorite, man. Have a good one. Thanks to Brody for his time. We always appreciate talking to him. Okay, so I heard what he had to say, and he thinks that this could end up being a top 15 kind of team, a 10-win, 9-win team. And I, and I know that LSU recruits at a high level every year. I'm not buying it. And it's not nothing against Brody. I, I just I think that the wheels are about to fall off. It, it goes back to what I said bef- before when we were talking. Like, it just feels like people just buy into like LSU is just going to be everything's fine, and there's so much. Everybody else is looking, and there's like, you know, the house is on fire, and the dog sitting there sipping coffee, saying this is fine. <laughs> everybody, everybody else is looking in at this, but the LSU people are like, no, it's fine. Nobody's nobody's talking about. You know the the administration covering up all of these things around the program, and uh, you know NCAA infractions. Uh, they they just lost their baseball coach. I mean, things are not fine. And I always laugh at Ross Dellinger because he always talks about how LSU is like the mecca for news, whether good or bad. And it's like it, it's either top-of-the-line great news for them or bottom-of-the-barrel. It's dumpster fire. And that's that's kind of how I see LSU. It's either feast or famine. They had the greatest team in college football one year, and now you have you know Ed Ordron in, in two years could possibly be gone if things go uh, sour here. So I don't know, Brian. I have no clue what's going to happen. I, I felt like in our group text, you know, last year I felt like State had a chance to win that game. Yeah, and uh, our friend Ben Portnoy was just thought that was crazy. He was adamant, but they had lost like twenty guys or something from that was had started the year before, and I just thought that was a huge deal. And everybody again was making it out to be not that big of a deal, and it's kind of the same thing this year. I don't know what they're going to do at quarterback. You know, Miles Brennan was okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he got hurt. They went through like three or four different guys. Yeah. You know they're going to be just unbelievable at wide receiver, no matter who they throw out there. Mm-hmm. They're going to have uh, defensive linemen. They're going to have uh, cornerbacks and safeties. So they're going to be immensely talented. There, there's no doubt about it. The question is whether or not you know Ed Orgeron is going to be able to pull it together and everybody's going to be on the same page, or is this – is this going to head off to be like his old Miss tenure? Well, let's look at the schedule and see what we think. I think LSU has one of the most intriguing opening weekend matchups of anybody when they travel out to the Rose Bowl to play UCLA. That's two programs that, you know, Chip Kelly sort of the same situation. Needs to de- deliver in 2021 if he wants to, you know, continue to justify his paycheck. New, new I mean, this, this is an iffy game for me, believe it or not. They should win LSU. But I'm not going to be completely surprised if they lose. So what do you think about this one? I don't know what I, – I feel like LSU is going to play with an edge. And I don't know if UCLA uh, – I, I haven't watched enough of them to know are, are they gritty 
or can they get popped in the mouth by by the southern boys because i think there's something to be said about that there's something to be said about just having that edge to you and coming in there and just knocking somebody's teeth off and i I think lsu will play like that on on defense and in the trenches as well i think lsu wins this game and i think they're going to start off the season on a high note i I think they're going to be three and oh i think that i think you're right but I think this game's going to be a struggle for them. And I think it's going to it's going to set the table for there's going to be a lot of man if they play like that against UCLA what are they going to do against the SEC teams? My so, my worry for them would be what is their passing defense like? Uh, mm-hmm. because I feel like Chip Kelly's going to be able to throw the ball around. Plenty of talent. Yeah, but last year was was really bad. Yeah. No, um, you're right, you're right. I mean, I know it's a new regime or whatever on defense, but uh they got, like I said, like I mean, there's there's a lot of talent in the back end. It's going to be interesting, but I, I like LSU here. All right. So then they're three and zero. That fourth game is in Starkville against Mississippi State. That's the really intriguing one. Yeah. Because it's going to be a capacity crowd. You got to think. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a great atmosphere in, in Davis Wade, and it feels like to me if LSU wins that game, they're four and zero. They'll slide. They'll glide to ten and two. Yeah, you know, they'll lose to Alabama. They'll probably drop one more, maybe to Florida, maybe to Texas A and M. But they're they're going to be fine. But if they lose that game, all bets are off. I feel like you're coming into that game and you'll know exactly where things stand for both mm-hmm. teams. Both teams after after three weeks, yeah. you'll know. Okay, Mississippi State, the air raids, their air raids rolling. Defense is playing good. They got a good shot in this game. Or you'll say they're really struggling and LSU's. Started off well, I, you know. This has some real ESPN primetime potential here. Both teams yeah. should be three and zero, and ranked maybe in the top. State could be ranked if they're three and zero, and LSU would definitely be ranked. Based on last season and how things went, I mean, you got to think LSU is not going to be coming out in a man-to-man defense after what happened to them last year. They're not going to be embarrassed like that two years in a row. I don't. I don't think State is going to just light up the scoreboard in that game. But I don't know. I I like state here. I I'm not going to disagree with you. State state last year. I mean, that game really wasn't as close as they threw for 623 yards. They probably should have won one more. They had a pick six. They, they threw. Had, they, they had, had two more turnovers in Tiger territory. I mean, yeah, they controlled most of that ball game. So yeah, I, I'm going to take Mississippi State to win. As we say in here on on June 15th, it's my anniversary. Call it my gift to myself. Happy anniversary Thank to you, very much. you and Jennifer. Yeah. Um, and like you said, you reserve the right to change I your mind if you're presented the, with well, I mean, information. Yeah, I guarantee the predictions I make in the June, July stuff versus what I come back to, are, they're, they're always going to be different. It's just for fun right now. People, yeah. don't don't go back to these sound bites in September. And yeah, don't all takes expose to, me. Yeah, yeah, we don't need that. Yeah, I don't need that. I think they'll get back on the winning track because I, I just don't have any faith in Auburn this year. So October second, uh, Auburn goes to LSU. I think the, the I think the Bayou Tigers win that one. Yeah. Then they got to go to Kentucky, and we talked about this game a little bit last week when we previewed the Wildcats. Here's another thing on these predictions. I'm going to forget who I predicted. Yeah, on that's, the other end. Look, I've been doing that all this time, and I promise you, I have made more. Uh, I've doubled up mistakes. I, I don't worry. I don't even remember who I picked in that game you picked, initially. You picked LSU up. Okay. Uh, and I think I think I did too, but I don't remember. It was just I want to stick with that just so I don't look like a dunce that I yeah. picked last. But again, week. this is another game. This is LSU we're talking about, one of the top programs in college football. We're we're six games into the season, and really, even with Auburn, 
we've got four games that we're saying these are toss-ups. I think they'll beat Auburn. They lost to Missouri beat... last year, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. So th- that's where this program has sort of fallen to, that I can't look at Kentucky and Mississippi State and UCLA and say those are sure wins for LSU. Four years ago, or you know, when, when, before 2014, I guess, every time I saw Mississippi State versus LSU, LSU. Yeah, I, I never, I didn't even, I didn't even think about it. LSU is going to win that game. Well, geez, two years ago, you were thinking if State can just stay within three touchdowns, it would be a good day. Yeah, and, and now you're. I thought well, State lost by twenty three in that game, and I thought they played really well. Played really well. So <laughs> it's just crazy how now I'm picking quick, them to win two straight. It's, it's crazy how this how this thing's. But shifted. that being said, we have them now at five and one. Yeah, but then the, it's it's getting harder. Yeah, they, they got Florida coming in. Ah, well, you know. Um, uh, we'll see how my team looks. Yeah, I'm not big on Florida this year, but I like Dan Mullen's coaching ability over at Orgeron's. Yes, I, I think I think Mullen is going to um, outsmart whoever. Yeah, I'm gonna go five and two here. I'm gonna give Florida yeah. this one. I think they'll come back to beat Ole Miss though. Does LSU? That's a tricky game. For it me. is tricky. It's an once again we are now we're eight games in. And LSU has had two sure wins, McNeese State and Central Michigan. And they've struggled at Ole Miss in the past. They have. Um, so yeah. and, I, and Corral's going to want to bounce. He threw five yeah. picks. He's going to want to have a big game here. That's going to be a, that's going to be a big storyline. Yeah. It, for Ole Miss, just like every year, it's it's like the quarterback or bust. Yeah. Like if the it whatever whatever has happened at this point, if Corral is healthy, mm-hmm. you feel good about Ole Miss down the stretch. Yeah. If if he gets hurt. Yeah, then they can lose to everybody. I mean, he. Uh, this is an audition game for Lane Kiffin, by the way. To go to LSU, yeah, if Orgeron gets fired, they they would call call the Lane train. Yeah, I, I'll, I don't give, know I'll give LSU the win. I don't know how much longer. I'll give LSU the win. Just, I, I feel like LSU will win. So six, six and, and two. two, six and three. Yeah, no, we don't even have to talk. We don't about even need to talk about that Alabama game. Say Saban when they lost that one two years right. ago, he'll he'll never lose to them again. In the middle of these two games is Louisiana Monroe. That's a win. So there's seven wins for the Tigers. So now we're at the point where don't count out the Warhawks. I I never count out Monroe. There's the difference between nine and three, and everybody's happy. Okay, we bounce back. We're going to continue to recruit well, and we're in trouble. Is winning both of these next two games. Yeah, and those they're both at home against Arkansas and Texas A and M. I think they'll beat Arsenal, but but the, the, but, but I think Pittman will make it in Baton Rouge. Yeah, in it's Baton, in Baton Rouge. Rouge. Yeah, but I mean, I, that won't, again, it's not it's not a cakewalk. Outside of LSU's three non-power five conference games, they don't have a cakewalk anymore. It just it feels like they're playing a lot of home games, but I guess it's normal. Yeah, they, it, they, it, they close the year with three home games, and yeah. they open the season with two out of three. Yeah. at home, but yeah, yeah. A and M, A and M, and Baton Rouge is interesting, but I feel like A and M is a contender for the SEC championship. I think A and M is better than, than LSU. This is the first year where I felt like okay, A and M might actually be really. I, good I don't this know year. if they're they're there yet, but they're better than LSU. They're they're getting there. All right. Uh, the quarterback situation is one to watch, which but, is funny. They lost Kellen Mond, who I was never high on. Right. But he would he could manage it. He could manage the game. Uh, but but I, yeah, I, I'm going right. with Art. I'm going with LSU. Over Arkansas, and then I'm going to go with A and M. Okay, so that's eight, and eight, eight wins, and that that might that, not cut it. Talking, and that's what Brody Miller just told us in this interview is that he thinks eight and wins would, would require some hard conversations. Yeah, and I mean that's that's just you can't follow up what they did in 2019 with five and five and eight and four. 
You know, it's not quite Gene Chizik falling all the way down to three and nine, but it's not acceptable down there. It just isn't. So we'll see. I think the ceiling for this team. I mean, they could beat State and beat. Could they beat Florida? They're not going to beat Alabama. I don't think they're going to beat AM. Could they beat Florida to get to 10 wins? Possibly. We're, we're looking at a thin line between 8 and 10 wins. Because I think, I, think I think it's possible that they could steal a couple of wins there. But there's a, there's By that same token, though, Robbie, they could f- easily be 6-6 six and six if some things don't go their way. Yeah. The thing to watch with them is if, if they face adversity, mm-hmm. how do they react? The yeah. things start crumbling. Yeah, you know, uh, if if things start coming out that you know Ed Orgeron knew about this guy doing this, and you know they had um, Odell was handing out money, and you start to like the NCAA investigation starts to creep up, and players just start to kind of fall to the wayside. Uh, it could really go south and hurt. We've seen that happen a lot with yeah. teams, you know. We'll see what happens with the Bayou Bengals. All right, in the East, you mentioned Ben Portnoy a moment ago. Why don't we talk about South Carolina next week, and we'll get him on the show. Let's go. All right, so the Gamecocks, spoiler alert, they ain't going to be good next year. We'll see. All right, so tomorrow's show is the rumblings. Robbie, if you want to fire off a tweet, we can make that happen. We'll start getting your questions in now. We've already got people asking questions and fighting with each other. Love it. It's, I mean, it is chaos already. Plant the seeds of treachery, damn it. <laughs> Let's go. My mother's listening to this. That's going to become our running joke, I can already tell. It's I mean, not even I, a joke. I'm, not, I'm just saying, you know. How does she feel about when I when I go into that Dusty Roads mode talking about kicking somebody's ears? <laughs> she hadn't heard that yet, but now she has. All right, so tomorrow's show is the rumblings. Uh, Thursday, no opponent preview this week because it would be Tennessee State. We'll, we'll skip over that. We'll focus on baseball. I'll try to get somebody on who covers the Longhorns to talk about that as well. For Robbie Falk, I'm Brian Haydad. Thanks for listening to Thunder and Lightning on Super Talk Mississippi. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.